We are on the third part of a series on the justification of God, the justification of God, which sounds strange to say that God can be justified. Well, the short answer is God doesn't need to be justified. He is just. God is the justifier. He justifies us. We don't justify him. But the thought being that because we believe in this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good, all-loving God, and yet there's evil and pain and suffering in the world, then we, we, we have questions. And we wonder how this God could be justified in ordaining and allowing evil and pain and suffering and, and tragedy. And in part one, we looked at the answer to the problem of evil from the angle that you don't want to attempt to solve the problem of evil by changing God's attributes. It's tempting, and many have tried, to say, well, maybe God didn't know this was going to happen. Or maybe God couldn't prevent this from happening. And somehow that makes us feel better about God. Because if he could do something about it and knew it was going to happen and didn't, that seems unjust to us or unloving. And we said that you don't want to do that. Though it would seem that it would temporarily ease your pain, you would be left with a God who is just a little bit bigger version of us. What kind of God would that be? And it is not the God that the scriptures present to us. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is sovereign. That word sovereignty. He has absolute authority and control over all things, and nothing comes to pass which he hasn't ordained to come to pass. And so... We like to call our brand of theology here at the church Reformed Theology, Reformation Theology. And by that, we mean that we start all of our theology from the Bible and we start with theology proper, which is a term that means the truth about God, the Godhead. Before you try to answer any other theological question, always start with, who is God? Otherwise, you'll be tempted to answer other theological questions by diminishing God or changing God's attributes. Start with what we know about God and work out our theology from there, wherever that takes us. Not only is that biblical and what will be best for us, but it's dishonoring to God dishonoring to God to make him into something that he is not. It's idolatry, in fact. And I present to you maybe the human analogy of marriage. Young couples come into my office and they're in love. And I say, well, why are you in love? Oh, she's so loving and kind. Oh, he's so loving and kind. No, you're loving and kind. No, you're loving and kind. And I want to spend 
the rest of my life with this loving and kind. Are you sure they're loving? And yes, I'm absolutely positive they're loving and kind. And you're absolutely sure that you understand that marriage is a permanent covenant between a man and a woman until death do us part. Amen and amen. And then you know what happens. Life happens. What changed? Oh, he's not loving and kind. Oh, she's not loving and kind. And therefore, marriage shouldn't be permanent. And see, you take things that you were theologically sure of, and because circumstances have changed, you're tempted to alter your view about the individual. Now, the analogy breaks down at some point, because unlike God, we do change. But I like to tell my counselee, so let me get this straight. Before they met you, they were loving and kind. <laughs> and then they spent a few years with you, and you're saying now they're not loving and kind. <laughs> well, correlation doesn't always imply causation, now does it? Amen. See, we're, we're tempted to change the truth about the individual when we find ourselves in circumstances that are uncomfortable. And what we need to do is say, no, this is the loving and kind person that I married. Life gets difficult. Children happen. <laughs> we don't tend to spend as much time with one another. Life doesn't turn out the way we Our definition of loving and kind changes. We have expectations that are unmet. But God is... Unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so when we go through difficult circumstances, the answer isn't to change God's identity. The purpose is for us to cry out to God and honestly say, I, I don't understand why I'm going through this painful situation, but I trust you, God. You are my rock and my fortress, my stronghold. I can trust the word of God. There's something I'm missing here. After part one of the sermon, though, which was intended to be a mild rebuke, hey, don't do that to God. When we're talking about going through pain and suffering and all you hear is a mild rebuke, some of the feedback I got was, well, I get what you're saying and I believe it, but a little harsh. Well, part two. We looked at God's mercy and his love. And we said, maybe where we're going wrong in the problem of evil isn't God's omnipotence and his omniscience. Maybe we have an inadequate definition of love. Maybe that's where the problem is. And in fact, we looked at the human analogies of a parent allowing their children to endure pain and suffering for a greater purpose. Discipline, vaccines. And the child doesn't understand. All he knows is, you're inflicting pain on me. And we know because we have more wisdom than the child that it really is going to be for your good. Trust me. Trust in my goodness and my love for you. 
And if us being finite, and as Jesus says, you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does an infinite good God know how to give good gifts to his children? And so we can trust that in our pain and suffering, God is accomplishing something good. Hard to see in the moment, I understand. We weep with those who weep. I know the right answer for Jessica and Romeo is, but we know that in all things, God works all things together for good. It's probably not what they want to hear right away. They know it's the right answer. They're missionaries. They're Christians. Right now, they want you to weep with them. And that's what we'll do. Right? They don't need a sermon right away. But eventually, we have to find the answers. And that's the answers the Bible gives. Is trust God. And we know we can trust Him because the greatest good that has ever come about in this universe came after the greatest evil was perpetrated. The Son of God, the perfect, sinless Lamb of God, suffering on the cross in our place. And so we have proof that God loves us and we have a grand demonstration that good things can indeed come from pain and suffering. So we arrive at part three, and there's one more part of the equation to look at then. And this is really where the rubber kind of meets the road here. So we agree God is all-powerful, and that he's all-knowing and all-wise and all-loving. But maybe we're not thoroughly convinced that everything he ordains is good. And we, in our heart of hearts, replace the word good with the word fair. And I present to you today that in our fallenness, the human heart replaces just with fair. Justice with fairness. In our heart of hearts, we want everything to be fair. Right? Ask your two-year-old. No one taught your two-year-old that fairness should be the highest virtue. It's what they're born with. And they don't care about fairness as long as they have the bigger cookie. But suddenly fairness becomes the issue when they have the smaller cookie. That's not fair. I have heard people in their moment of grief, adults, cry out, that's not fair. When I was 19, I worked as a secretary in a um, hospital lab. And uh, I'm filing the draw orders and see a name of a close friend. His dad was in the hospital, and I saw that they had ordered a, a CK. So I'm like, oh, cardiac panel. wonder what's going on. So I call home, and this is like my second mom. And she answers the phone. I said, hey, I saw your husband's name here at the lab. And she burst into tears. 
he had had a heart attack. He survived the heart attack, but here's a nurse of 30 years, and the first words out of her mouth, it's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair. What are you supposed to say to that when you're 19? Like, people have heart attacks all the time. But that's not what she wanted to hear because you're overwhelmed with grief and fear and anxiety and strong emotions. And that's when we know what's really in the human heart is in our moment of grief or shock or anger or surprise. We can give the biblical answers in the ABF group when we're sitting in the circle. But when circumstances beyond our control hit us, that's when we really know it's in our hearts. And that's okay because that's a vehicle God uses for us to see where change needs to happen. It was strange for me to hear an adult say, that's not fair. I was told by my parents, we don't do fairness. <laughs> that's, that's how immature people speak. What's right, that's what matters. And we understand life's not fair. Tonight, the most beautiful and most talented and some of the richest people on this planet are going to gather. Is that an Oscars night? Or is that tomorrow? Tonight? I don't know. I'm not watching. But I guarantee one of those people, at least one, will get up and talk about unfairness. That it's not fair that there's so many poor and the current administration doesn't care about the poor. Really? In your $10,000 gown. In your mansion. They're going to give us a lecture on how life should be fair. I would love to be a PGA Tour golfer. I just don't have what it takes. That's not fair. Nathan wants to play for the NBA. Not tall enough. Not fair. Some people have the high SAT scores and get into the good colleges. Not fair. So we'll rig the system to help other people get in. Well, that's not fair to the people who scored 1,600. It's funny the way fairness works to the fairness community is when it's working for you, they're fine with unfairness. It's only a complaint when the unfairness is working against you. And so it's an honest question, and we'll ask God honestly, why isn't life seem to be fair? Does that mean God is not fair? There, I said it. So I'll give you the answer biblically. No, God's not fair. He's good. He's just. He's righteous. Fairness has nothing to do with it. And yet, we have this 
strong desire that things ought to be fair. That is our standard of justice often. Where did we get that from? Well, there was this beautiful angel of light, more beautiful than all the other angels, who wasn't satisfied with being the most beautiful angel. He said, it's not fair that only God gets to be God. And was cast out of heaven. And in the garden, he tempted man and woman to say the same thing. Well, that's not fair that we don't get to know the knowledge of good and evil. Why does God get that prerogative? If you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll have your eyes open. You'll be like God. You'll get to decide for yourself what is good and what is evil. And they did. And we've inherited this warped, perverted sense of deciding for ourselves in our finiteness, with our limited wisdom, what is right and what is wrong. And all too often, we use fairness as our definition. And so when we're tempted to doubt God's justice and His righteousness and His goodness, it's usually because we're looking at the world through the lens of fairness. Now, we pick up our story, John the Baptist is in prison, remember? And what was his message? Everyone needs to repent. Everyone's wrong. Everyone's a sinner. Everyone needs to, be, to re- repent. Everyone needs to be baptized. Now, if you want fairness, that's fair. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. No one's earning heaven. But the Pharisees and the scribes and the other religious leaders did not like this message. And over time, we're going to see that what was at the heart of their disagreement with this message is fairness. Because the way they saw the world was those who work really hard at keeping the law earn the right to go to heaven. And those who don't work really hard at keeping the law forfeit that right. That's fair. And we, to some extent, would say, yeah, that kind of sounds right. But you should know better. Because by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And yet, deep down in places we don't like to admit, we think that's the way the world should work. I work really hard. I deserve the things I've earned in this world. And if you would work hard too, then you would get your reward. And to some extent, that's the way God's wisdom works in the world, but it's not the way it works for salvation. 
What's interesting to me as Christians is we're okay with Jesus dying on the cross for us, but we don't stop to think how incredibly unfair that was. So we want fairness when it benefits us, but in this case, unfairness benefits us, and it's what we sing the most praises to God about. And then tragedy hits us, and we shake our fists at God and say, that's not fair. But we don't shake our fists at Him when we look at the cross, which was incredibly unfair. The righteous one being punished for our sins. So you might say at this point, before I go any further, okay, you've convinced me. I'm... I'm going on a fairness diet. No more fairness for me. You'd be surprised that all the places in your heart, fairness is lurking. It crops up in your money, in your health, in your relationships. You have this preconceived notion in your head what fairness is and what you have a right to. And when life doesn't turn out the way you think it should... It's really your heart saying to God, this is not fair. So, before we get through the message, and it's a (laughs) two-parter. I'm just setting the table. Me and Nathan and Craig and Matt Byswinger and Matthew Payton and Mike Owens and Jim Davis are going to the Shepherds Conference next week. We'll be gone from Tuesday through Friday being fed on the Word of God and... um, I've prepped two weeks worth of sermon in one, so you'll get the uh, second half when we get back. But I at least want you to hear this. Anytime you're tempted to say life isn't fair, I want you to remember two things. God is just, not fair. And number two, look at the cross. Anytime you're tempted to say life's not fair, look at the cross. And be glad God isn't fair. Be glad he's good and he's merciful and he's loving. Anytime you're confused about what is going on in our world, I invite you to look at the world through the lens of fairness and it will explain everything. What what are all these angry people protesting? They're protesting unfairness, the way they define fairness. Feminist movement, it's unfair that men should have certain advantages that women don't. I didn't create male and female. God did in his good pleasure. I don't think it's fair that only women get to have babies. Now, I said that first service, and a lot of the ladies laughed because they're like, trust me, you you don't want it. But I was like, maybe just for a day. Just to have another human being inside of you. I'll I'll never get to experience that. It is a wonderful thing, isn't it? A wonderful mystery. And I know some of you ladies get hit harder with all the morning sickness than others. But at the the end of the day, wow, you get to have another human being inside. I always kind of felt left out of the the whole scene. (laughs) I remember hearing Gloria Allred 
say it's not fair that there's more male firefighters than females. Because, well, there's a certain physical requirements. If my house is burning down, I want someone who can pick me up and carry me out. And she said, if we had to, we should spend millions of dollars inventing equipment that would make up for the difference. Like, why? I don't think I'm strong enough to be a fireman. I mean, maybe I am, but I don't know. I'd rather have some burly guy. That's, I'm not smart enough to be a brain surgeon. I'm okay with the unfairness. Sure, they get paid a lot. But at the end of the day, even the leftist who says that's not fair, guess who they want operating on their brain? And so they say they're about fairness until they live life. You can go on and on through the list, and now it's becoming so absurd that the world's saying, well, it's not fair that I can't be a woman or I can't be a man, and so I will just change my gender. And it's sad, and these folks need to be helped, and that help comes through repentance and truth and faith in Christ and praising Him for the way He's made you. And trusting him for the way he's made you. With whatever gifts and talents and disabilities he's given you. He's all wise and he's all good and he's all knowing and he has a plan in all of it. So to make sure you come back next week. We will eventually tackle the big the big question next week. Is God just if he could save everyone but only chooses to save some? Is that fair? Oops, I said it. And there is an answer biblically to that question. I can't promise you will immediately like the answer. And there were already some people who knew first service where this was going. And they got nervous. I promise you, we will humbly search the scriptures together. And even if we don't come to the same conclusion, it will not at all interfere with our fellowship and our love for Christ and our trust in the scriptures and our proclamation of the gospel. But I will not avoid thorny topics out of fear of man. The Bible proclaims these things and explains these things and how good of God who didn't owe us an explanation to give us an explanation. And so, we'll answer that question next week. Can a just God choose some for salvation and, and not others? So, uh, do me the, the privilege and be loving and please don't run up here to argue Calvinism and Arminianism with me. Let's just wait for next week, study the scriptures, 
focus on the cross and God's goodness towards us. And if you'll pray for the group of us going to Shepherds and pray for the wives who are left behind (laughs) to take care of the little ones, they'd appreciate that as well. Father God, thank you so much for revealing yourself to us through the scriptures and through the person of Jesus Christ. God, we acknowledge that your ways are higher than ours. We are finite. You are infinite. We are have incomplete knowledge, you are knowledge. We see in part, you see in full. We're bound by time, you are outside time. Thank you for stepping down into this world you created in the person of Jesus Christ, which is all the demonstration we need of your love We are not left down here to wallow in this fallen world, but you've provided the answer. And the answer is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. Your word and your Savior and your person are sufficient for us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. We'll see you next Sunday.